Let's do it. <laughs> That's how we're starting the Real Thing Patriots podcast this week. Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Crown on that head. 2018. What a great feeling it is, folks. Uh, you got to feel good for the guys. Uh, obviously, I'm doing this on an evening. Uh, this is a taping, a taping on Wednesday evening. So a little bit of the surprise and glee and all that should have, you know, theoretically washed off. Hasn't for me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm still a few days removed from this. Uh, did the uh, the parade on Tuesday for Nesson and uh, for Fox 25, excuse me, Boston 25. Uh, down there with Tom Lydon, uh, I, I had a good time. You know, I, I, I'm not a player anymore. I, I'm, I'm over a decade. I'm, at, I'm actually right on a decade, a decade removed from this stuff. So, uh, I'm many years, many years past being a player. I'm a former player now. So the, 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 the real deal pump, you know, drilled into your veins, kind of adrenaline stuff. I don't have that anymore. It's not the same kind of glee. But you know, you cover this team closely. You get to know some of the guys on the team. Uh, obviously, the the only guy who I played with that's still remaining standing is his uh, old guard there, Tommy and uh, Brady. You know, I, I just love seeing that he's getting all the stuff that he's he's worked so hard for, and uh, you know, getting a chance to talk to his family and and friends and him and you know the rest of the guys, uh, some of the other older dudes on the team, a little bit older anyway, not older, but uh, you know, it's just it's just very 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 satisfying let's put it that way um it's not my championship it's got nothing to do with me but I know if you follow this along the year we've sort of ridden the roller coaster with some of the frustrations some of the narratives that that follow the team most of which were bs and that's not to say they didn't struggle quite a bit at times they absolutely did but it's the how the when the why and the where uh that matters most and really digging into the real stuff is what this show's been all about so understanding cause and effect and not just making it up when you don't understand what you're looking at that was been you know really Really, the uh, the impetus of this show. So that's what we've done, uh, and I owe it to you to really, really sharpen the focus on this final game, especially in that I feel like I may have let you down a little bit not having a show last week. I'd built it up as a pregame that I was going to do a pregame show. I always intend to. Uh, I was down there in Atlanta throughout the week working my testicles off, uh, and thankfully so. I'm not complaining at all, but working uh, working a hard week there of. Uh, run around town from venue to venue and doing a, a whole day's work every day. And it's not a complaint. It's a, it's a blessing. Happy to be down there doing it. But it did logistically make uh, make for a difficult time to do a podcast. I had the idea of maybe just whipping it together on my iPad, but the audio blew. So, uh, you know, the setup wasn't ideal. And the times where I could get down to a real good mic stuff was was not convenient. So I didn't give it to you next last week, although I built it up that I was going to deliver that. So... I felt I really, really owed you a thorough one this week, cause especially for those of you folks who have been with us from day one throughout the season. So what I've done, and, you know, again, this is in part an answer to my own logistics than anything. Uh, I've watched back the broadcast tape on Monday, which everyone working in media is doing, uh, you know, because you got to go back online or go back on, on camera and, and do the shows and talk about what you saw. And uh, react in post game. Obviously, at that point, I, just from my live reaction, but saw it live like y'all did, or you know, saw it all in the moment as you all did. Uh, then watched it back on broadcast, and then on a Wednesday morning here, I 
I knocked out the coach's copy for the first time. Now, granted, I think the benefit is I've seen several people that I follow on Twitter and things like that, uh, you know, doing clips, the Baldy Breakdown stuff, uh, a number of local people, number, you know, just anyone who's sort of got one of those uh, NFL Game Pass accounts and, and has listed a clip or two or three. I've been uh, diligent in, in going through some of those, seeing the good ones, noticing some mistakes in some, and just appreciating some of the ones where it's just showing something really appealing that happened in the game, something really cool, highlighting something that maybe the broadcast missed, or just pointing out something the broadcast showed, and I never got to see the broadcast, at least live. So I enjoy all that stuff, but I think it makes for a benefit, should be a little more helpful show for y'all. Uh, that look for me to break it down a little bit more. And uh, if there is a narrative or a story or something that's built here three days after and people are settling, settling upon that as if that is the sort of, I don't know, Ten Commandments truth kind of thing uh, to what went down in the game, I get an opportunity to put a second eye on it and uh, pick at it, see if it's true, see if it's not, provide some better detail. And uh, that's what today's show is going to be about. So we're going to dig all the way through this thing. And I know it's it's. Uh, I want to make this thing digestible. I'm not trying to do <laughs> several hours here. I will try to keep it under an hour. So we're five minutes in here with the intro. Let's dive in, and we'll just get to the meat and potatoes. At the end, I would love to tie a bow on this thing relative to the season and talk about a few of the things that have come up, and with people trying to find an answer for this 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 year, and some of it that's way off and wacky, but. Uh, We'll save that for the tail end. First of all, let's just dive in to this thing. Super Bowl. Let's do it. Now, opening kickoff. You know, the Patriots uh, did not win the toss, so the Rams are deferring on this thing. And uh, it is a nice kickoff to start. Uh, excuse me, they're, they're receiving initially. So because the Rams are deferred, Patriots are taking it, obviously. And we had done some little talk leading in this. This is mostly on my Nesson segments, if you saw them or potentially on Boston 25 with uh, with Tom and with Butchie Stearns. Um, but we had I, I remember one particular day where, you know, it's getting towards the end of the week and trying to come up with some new stuff to talk about some angles that haven't been touched. And, you know, one of the things that we really hammered upon was something that's been sort of a, a, a private conversation that we have amongst guys that played special teams. Uh, and there's sort of my generation of guys, sort of the first half of this long run, and then there's the second half guys, most of which are still playing now, Matthew Slater's, you know, sort of the rock star of that group, the 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 uh, intellectual and emotional head of that room, and he does an awesome job. And it's something I think that everyone in the room is very aware of. Uh, this I'm regurgitating regurgitating facts that I gave on the on those shows, but something that was very important to us back in the day is took a lot of pride in it. We wanted to lead the league in all the categories every year if we could, and you know we're right up at the top throughout, and we were a big. Uh, helpful factor in a lot of the success we have. We always felt that way, and we always took it very, very serious and professionally and uh, help it, it felt like it aided the team. Um, so, you know, we, we had kick returns and punt returns and big, big plays in special teams and playoff games throughout, but we never got one, uh, never got a real explosive play in, uh, in, in a Super Bowl. And, you know, we got to play in the three, uh, the ones that we were in, and uh, I believe the longest play we had was like a 20-something yarder uh, Troy Brown uh, punt return, which is good, you know, one big, one high twenty number punt return, but no big kick returns, and we were we were great in that aspect. Um, in in you know, obviously in the regular seasons, but then in, in playoff games as well, had the big game breaking uh, punt return for a touchdown against in the AFC Championship game against the Steelers uh, that kind of started it all. Uh, but again, never r- ran one of those off in a Super Bowl, and it's always bothered us. So for the Patriots to come out here in this particular game and 
and get a 39-yarder, which I, I don't actually qualify necessarily as an explosive play. It's, it's a very good. It's a very good start to get out get out to about the 40 to kick the game off. It's, it's very positive, but not quite over middle, midfield. So prior to this, in all the Patriots Super Bowl games, there was a Lawrence Maroney kick return that was like 41, slightly longer than this, uh, this Patterson one. Uh, and then other than that, a high 20s uh, Troy Brown one and a high 20s Edelman one in sort of the later years. So uh, that's it. So, you know, no no 50-yard punt return type stuff, certainly no scores in either of those areas. So we were cheering hard, you know, hoping that they'd break one through here. But at least it was nice to see him get off on, a, on, on strong footing to start this thing, out to the 40 to start this thing off. So as we dive in here, one of the very first things I noticed and uh, things that we were covering throughout the week on Nesson uh, was that there was no pre-snap movement, no flopping of the Rams line. That was something they did really heavily against the Saints, and we talked about it a good amount on our shows. Wondering if that will be something that a team could plausibly get away with against the Patriots because, shoot, Tom likes to go quick. You know, Tom likes to digest you, get you going. Maybe if you're not quite set, take advantage of that. You know, read something from your, you know, scrambling around trying to get set because when you're doing that, you're not disguising. Um, so one of the things that did jump out here is as much as there was flopping on the interior line, like Donald and Sue flipping and sometimes the ends flipping, outside guys flipping, uh, linebackers shifting spots, there was a lot of that stuff in the Rams or in the Saints game, and not here in the Patriots one. So that just tells me in the two weeks of work looking into it, they scrapped that and said that ain't going to work here. Tom will take too much advantage of it. Best guess there. Snow. Now, uh, this was a really positive run. Obviously, to start the game, you get the 13 yard run right off the bat. Life's good. Moving along, feels like a Chiefs start. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Several runs to start the thing, and then the very first pass of the game ends up being an interception by Brady. And now, that's obviously going to be a story breaker for the two weeks of work we've talked about this, all the uh, the praise and adulation we've put on Tom, all that's deserved. Um, you know, the first ball comes out of his hand really weird, um, and it half made me think just watching it. I, I couldn't tell if initially it was tipped. I think there was a, a day there and post where I actually thought it was. It wasn't. Um, and, you know, that's just from watching it with a pair of binoculars from the stands and having to check back the, the tape like y'all got to see live. Uh, but it came out of his hand weird. So I half wonder when stuff like that happens and you don't just snap it through. It was a, it was a, it was a, a zone-dropping uh, linebacker that was over two, I believe, and then he sort of – you line over one receiver and you're actually dropping to another, right? So it's a little bit of disguise. So you're lined over one and you fall to the next guy and sometimes there can be – a bit of a confusion element because generally with the quarterback's throwing at, he's throwing at that receiver who was not uncovered but had off. He has off, the, the defensive back sagging, he can th- thinks he fit it in, and then the linebacker slides from his over to the next guy and can, can surprise you a little bit from time to time, and that looks like that's what happened with Tom. So I'm wondering if it came out funny because he realized mid-motion that Oh, I shouldn't be doing this one. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, that's that's mind reading, and uh, didn't didn't ask Tom that uh, in post. It's too much celebratory stuff, and it's not important at that moment. But anyhow, it was it was obviously very bizarre to see um, his first ball of the day be a bad one, and it gets tipped up and intercepted. And uh, think that was just the wrong read. Bad start to the day for the throwing part, but they were actually running the football really quite well before that. So the mistake upended what, what they had going momentum-wise, at least to start this game out. Now, Pat's defense, they come out, and uh, 
wanted to talk about this a little bit because it was a story I had read somewhere on Twitter. Saw several people retweet it, so I'm not going to yeah, necessarily attribute to any one particular person, but uh, just address it. So there was a, a, a bit of hay made about this idea that the Patriots had a secondary call, and you'll recall, and there's there's ways you can go back and check this out if you like. There's old stories on this, but just the idea that McVay is a pretty hands-on, very nearly college kind of coach as far as the audible system with Goff, especially with Goff coming in and sort of adopting his system. And when I say college college, and you guys know that I do – do the ESPN football college games uh, during the season when I'm, the, uh, you know, when I'm doing Sundays. That's where I'm at on Saturdays, and uh, a lot of times you get these offenses that do card card offenses or or audibles straight from the head coach or straight from the OC, whoever the play caller is from the sideline. And the Rams do that now. Understand the rule is, well, they don't always do that, but they'll sometimes build in motions, and they want to see you react to the motion. When they get the motion, then oftentimes they quick do some sort of hand signal or you know some sort of some sort of gesture to change the call based upon the motion. And, and it can be as stupid simple as you, you move with the motion, that means man. You don't move with the motion, that means you're in zone. And he has some sort of corresponding audible he wants to go to. And the stories go, uh, or at least the news or reports or whatever go, that he, in that moment, is still getting the call from McVeigh, specifically what the audible he wants to be. Uh, is going to be delivered to him, as opposed to when he sees the motion, the quarterback having the the general, the more general, at least for the Braves of the world, autonomy to make what that audible call would be on his own. So the idea here was that the Patriots have a secondary call and that when they wait for that motion to to bear out and then they change their call. Well, the only thing I would say to that, and it's not that that story is not untrue, it's just that it's rather immaterial, quite frankly, to the defense if the audible was changed by the coordinator or head coach or quarterback one way or the other we all know if you're on that field and we all have a secondary call built in generally in a lot of that stuff especially if it's a game plan call so it's not the calls aren't cover two or cover four or whatever uh, they'll have nicknames and they'll have names for each each week and they're usually there's a slash number it's two slash this or a tag or something else because uh, in these moments where you know they're audibling based on what they saw you do. You need to have a generalized call or a check call yourself to say, well, we're not going to just let you dictate what what you're going to give us. So that's pretty common. I mean, that's something that from the day I got there with Belichick, once you get into games, um, that's just kind of how it works. I mean, all our call sheets have that. So usually the hand check stuff, or and when I say hand check, that just means some sort of hand gesture. Uh, we'll have multiple. You might some will be a very basic cover, like something that used to be called stretch, which is like kind of like cover two, but it's actually a full drop two, which you only rush three. The idea being, hey, they checked to something that's meant to take advantage of a like a man beater kind of thing, and we're just going to drop everyone and let them pick whoever they want to pick, and it doesn't matter because we're not going to be following a man. So that's one way to do it. But you can you can hand check anything. You can hand check one four. You can hand check some in zone calls the three. You can stay in man calls and still do a hand gesture of some sort that just simply changes the tag for the two people that would be involved in the pick and not the rest of the call. All these things are very normal, not new, and actually not Patriot-centric. This is going on all around the league. So it was a little weird to me that that was sort of highlighted as if it were a, this is what helped them you know, stymie um, McVay's offense. That can't possibly have been a, a surprise for those guys because people hands checking out of their audibles is pretty common. It's not a big deal. Um, but anyway, that became kind of a story. I just would not, 
I'd cost you to make too big of a deal out of that. I think in, invariably the other reason that's so is as you go through this game, it, it, that thing kind of stopped happening a few drives in anyway. So if you're going to try to explain away whatever happened on the next 10 drives, that wouldn't have been it because I don't that just wasn't a factor. So anyway, that was something I, I thought I should at least touch on. Um, it's smart to do. It's not as I'm not downplaying the intelligence in doing something like that. It's just certainly not new or some new amazing, you know, <laughs> spiral notebook from, uh, you know, some coach's movie thing. It's just uh, pretty typical. You kind of have to do that. You kind of have to build in that way because, you know, they're doing some, they're, they're testing you and then you need to, at some point, not every point, but sometimes when they adjust, adjust yourselves, especially if you think they've moved the guy over in a way that's going to screw you. And uh, hands check stuffs are very common, very important. Got to do it. But whether or not McVeigh's making that change once he's seen the flop, or if it's golf, who cares? So anyway, moving on. Uh, let's see. Uh, we're going to go to the Pat's D stuff, and at least I touched on that port. But invariably, the very first drive ends up being a really good one with the Patriots. So good stuff there. And I should tee this now. I didn't do a good job of that off the top, but. Uh, this is historical form performance by the Patriots. I'm going to allude to that as I go throughout these uh, these sort of sequences here in the plays. But uh, I'll give you the details off the top, and uh, I think this is very important. I think, you know, I, let's put it this way. When, when I see a lot of, of people, and I'll say some is social, some is media members, some is just people online, whatever it may be, you tend to fall in love with what a defense does in regular season, your belief in the names you know, all that kind of, that variety of analysis. Um, and when then that team then confirms that bias that you've gotten through sort of what you saw during the regular season, um, you generally will then attribute it still to that team and say, hey, they did what I expect them to do. They are great. Uh, now, with the Patriots, they had some stinker performances. So I think in the moment where they've had this all-time historical Super Bowl performance, a lot of the knee-jerk is to try to figure out why it happened, and you can't necessarily attribute it to them because they must not be talented or some nonsense like that. Or maybe the coaches just made up some magical game plan and helped these these dogs play better or something stupid like that. I mean, clearly I'm being facetious, but um, the reality of this is they were playing much, much better, and they've got tremendous talent and depth on that defensive side of the ball. I think the easiest example of that is Danny Shelton and, and Dietrich Wise being active in this game and were inactive a week ago and playing such big roles and doing such a great uh, a great job in the, in the final game. So they got depth, they got talent, they got a lot of flexibility there. Um, and uh, it really shown in this game. But uh, the reason I bring up sort of the historical notion here is the way I like to best look at it, and I think it's the fairest way. You can challenge me any other way you like if uh, ever wanted to have that debate. But I think invariably you, when you're going against an offense, there's not much better marker than what they generally do against everyone else. And you get 16 tries. So 16 tries, and they score 30-ish 30 30 points. This particular offense, the Rams, 32, almost 33 points a game. Well, they score 33 points a game, and you hold them to three. It was actually 29-9, I believe it was, the actual numbers. Well, you held them 29-9 below their expected. That's pretty fucking good. So, anyway, that's I mean that's, that's as straight line of a way to look at it as you can. And it's fair. I don't know what else one would do. I mean, I know people try to explain away performances like that and say, Brian Flores must have made a magic call. Bill Belichick's a genius. Sean McVay choked. Jared Goff's not ready. What's the situation with Gurley? I mean, the point is, a lot of ways to try to minimize or explain it away. Can't do that, because you certainly don't do that when the when the Ravens have a tremendous day. 
You certainly don't do that when the old Tampa Bay Bucks of 2002 have a great day. Nobody did that when the the Broncos had their big days. Nobody did that when the, the Seahawks had their biggest day, which prior to this was the other big day. It was another 29.9 day. It was a day where uh, the Denver Broncos come in flying high, 37-ish points a game, and they're held to eight. The exact, the identical, 29.9. Uh, the biggest sort of hell below expected that had ever happened in Super Bowl history. And what are the Patriots coming and do on this particular Sunday in February in Atlanta? They held them to the historical uh, high number that had ever been done as far as a holdback. 29.9 below their season average. Insane, folks. If there's anything you remember from the Super Bowl, I'm sure there'll be a handful of highlights, some of the cool stuff, maybe a stat or two or three. That should be at the top of the list. This is so outlandish. This is not Atlanta not showing up a few years ago. This is not Seattle not quite having the offensive day you otherwise would have expected. This is a 33-point-a-game offense over the course of 18 other professional football games not doing it. That is something. It's a big old something. And it's something that can never be taken away from this Patriots defense ever. You can talk uh, yourself into a delirium on a radio program or around a water cooler or into the Twitter box all you want, but you can't make the reality of the situation go away. It happened. These 11 men, a rotating group of 11 men with Patriot stickers on their helmet, they played exceptionally well, historically well. And I think that's uh, something that uh, the, the bow needs to be as deep as it possibly can, forehead scraping in the dirt. That's the kind of situation this was. And if you want to respect others, who you, know, you should. If you're just simply a fan of football, there are a lot of other defensive performances over the course of time that have been really, really good and deserve that deep bow. This is one of those. It's not only one of those, it's the greatest of those. And that's not hyperbole. It's what happened, tangibly, objectively. Just go look. Um, they did it, and they did it against a good group. It's not as if, hey, they shut out, uh, you know, more of a defensive-led team and a stinker from O is is more of an occasion that's less of a surprise of this group. That's not the case. This is an offense that pretty much put it up every week against everyone other than the one day they played in the tundra in Chicago and looked a little shell-shocked. Beyond that, this was a tremendous offense that figured it out somehow, some way against everyone. To be held down this many drives over and over and over again with that much on the line, it's incredible. It is incredible. So throughout the commentary with the rest of this game, it goes on with that in the background. D, right off the bat, gets their stop. Now the Pats offense gets right back out there again. The Rams did a nice job of peeling with the back early. The Patriots can do a little of that wide concept stuff where basically you line a gun and you just quick out to a wide. It's a little flare-out pass. It's really meant to just quickly quickly force width either from the safety or the linebacker or whomever is covering, maybe a, line, maybe a corner down and slot or defensive back that's low that's going to take that back. And you find out how they respond real quickly. A lot of times, you know, we've seen Brady done it, do it a billion times. He dumps it quickly. And you give them that space, you know, back behind the line of scrimmage by about five yards, and then the, the coverage player maybe five yards behind his own and use that space and try to make somebody miss. But the Rams actually did a really nice job. They peeled early with this, uh, peeled some with the back. Maybe that's outside linebacker in different scenarios. I'm, I'm not recalling, but I put it here in my notes that they peeled well. And, uh, oh, it wasn't in in this particular example because they did not cut the end. So one of the things that often goes with the wide concept is, uh, you know, you're going to fire out and try to chop down that and make sure his hands get down 
or cut him so he can't get to him. Well, the Rams did a nice job. But when I say peel, I guess I've used that term three or four times now and not explained it. But basically, snap of the ball, you feel the wide out of the back. You just go with him. Uh, you may have otherwise been rushing, but hey, we're peeling the back as an end. You're taking him immediately. So you're basically to force the quarterback's eyes back into the to the field progression. So um, you can't cut the end when you do that. And uh, Brady should have looked elsewhere, didn't. That play was blown up early or snubbed out early anyway. Third and nine now, Edelman beats Tlaib from the three spot. First down right off the bat. So that was an interesting early development. Edelman was going to – Tlaib was going to get Edelman and not just in sort of a, hey, if he comes to my side kind of thing, hey, if we're playing zone and Jules is here, it would be a nice uh, matchup. It's no, we're going to match to him. Maybe still play zone from over the top of him, but we'll follow him. We'll find him. And you put your biggest, longest dude, one of the most competitive defensive backs in the league, and Aqib Tlaib was really helped to sort of re-energize this Rams defense late in the season once he returned. Uh, but Jules won those those matchups just too quick. Uh, Tlaib is long, strong, competitive, tremendous ball skills. But uh, in the short space stuff, and even when I say short space, the short space can be well down the field and then the short space of the, the stem and the route. That's where Jules won over and over and over and over again. Really good day. And, you know, you know, take my word for it, shows up in the box score. Edelman had himself a day. Uh, bad penalty on the uh, screen that's coming up here. Uh, I actually hate that call. It's not a bad penalty on the Pats. I mean, this is sort of trying to be a push away from the table thing. This isn't a cheering or advocating side. This is just straight football. Um, you know, they got the helmet, the helmet thing on the, uh, the quick screen there to Burkhead. Burkhead's falling away from the head. I mean, he turns and quickly realizes he's about to get crushed. When you're that height, you're falling backwards. Well, the guy's going to have to lean forward because it's a short back. The helmet is kind of get contact. I, I don't, I really hate that call because it does meet the definition of the rule. And by that virtue, it should be thrown. So they didn't make a mistake in throwing it. It's just. You know, it's a senseless thing. Uh, you know, we're, we're not talking about like a guy that's running a drag route over the middle or a deep post and he's just set up. He's hung out, exposed in midair. And, you know, you just can't hit the whole defenseless receiver because he doesn't have an opportunity to protect himself. This is an in the backfield play. I mean, you've penetrated across the line, having to, you know, manipulate yourself as a tackler to not make the helmets contact there is just silly. Uh, he got contact in that way because the time played out that played out that way. It never should have been attempted there. He was going to get the back killed and did. The idea that you get a free first down and reset, I hate that. I just that's a football thing. That's not a pro patriot, anti patriot kind of thing. I hate that call. I empathize with the defender there. I don't know what else you would do if you're saying, oh, you know, in this snap snap moment, I should have fallen a little more to the side and put my head around the whatever. Stop that. I mean, this is just that's just where. The contact with the head is absolutely inevitable. If you want to make something inevitable legal, you're doing it wrong. Now, Gronkoff play action, that's the way they restart this thing after the penalty. Really nice there. You align and something looks very runnish. You have a little run action. He sneaks away off the line, wide open down the field. Good to get him going early. First quarter running by New England was actually meh. That's my notes, meh. It wasn't their thing early. I mean, I shouldn't say completely early. Obviously, the first play of the game offensively for them was exceptional. Uh, but then after that, there was a lot of just sort of snubbed out runs. So that went cold, and I think that affected sort of the, the drive continuation and the availability of play action and sort of the other maybe front and, front and cover changes you could force by virtue of getting some better chunks in runs. But since they weren't, they stuck in what they wanted to, coverage first, and... um 
you know, just it just wasn't fair for them. Obviously, we know down the stretch they kicked ass in the running game, but early it wasn't enough. Um, I don't love the fade to Hogan in the high red on second and eight, and and in part not just because it's not nothing to do with Chris, it's just that you got off coverage, so you have to throw it before you know if the separation's there. You've already got off. He's sagging out of the snap of the ball. It's second and eight. You know, you only got. Yeah, I just don't love it. And then this ends up sort of the series goes cold there, and you miss the field goal uh, from a makeable distance of meat. Now, obviously, Guskowski finishes the game out strong, makes the kicks when they need it. I uh, feel bad for him not making this one early. Um, they needed it. He missed it. It is what it is. If you had the old uh, prop bet we did on our show of three and a half field goals made for the game, you took the over. We did. Would have been two and two <laughs> on that. But uh, oh, in fairness, actually, the uh, the Rams guy missed at the end of, at the end of uh, regulation himself. So it's not as if good kickers don't miss kicks. Meat did on this particular occasion. Fortunately, the stones clank later. And he made the kicks that counted down the stretch, but did miss this one. Uh, Pat's defense is out there now. They work it to third and three. They're in plus Pat's territory. Motions over to Bunch. And this is why I made this particular note, folks, because Gilmore is locking on to Cooks. That was a little bit of a wrinkle there. It doesn't, I'm not necessarily indicating coverage specifically. We don't have to name it and get into all the sort of, uh, know the nicknames stuff. That's. It's too much detail for a podcast, but just the simple idea that for extended periods of this day, Gilmore was nearer on Cooks. I think that was important to understand, but also that with the motion over, Gilmore continued to lock on Cooks, and that kind of goes back to the earlier point in that whole story that, hey, they had a secondary call, and if on motions, they would head point and then hand check and all that stuff, and uh uh, even in those moments, this would be that moment. Hey, you motion him over, he creates bunch, and you have a three-person set there of eligibles, and uh, that would be the kind of thing that would prompt a, a hands check. And in this actual instance here on this particular series, they didn't. Gilmore stayed locked on Cooks, so there was no bunch check, no hands thing, no getting out in front of McVeigh's audible or whatever. Uh, and it was actually a really bad read by Goff because he had Cooks. Gilmore was picked because they didn't check out of it, and they tried to play it uh, in lock. Uh, Gilmore got picked, and it ended up being a great PBU by by Patrick Chung. Uh, there was a little stick-sit stick route from another element within the bunch, and Chung makes a great pass breakup. So nice play by him there. He's breaking on it. He's on it tight. And Goff went to the too tight route. I don't know why he went to that one as opposed to trying to hit Cooks back out in the flat from out of the bunch because he would have had it. Gilmore got himself picked. And that's really the danger of not making a hands check in, in the stacks or bunch stuff. Uh, you, you sometimes get ran into and picked off. So Pats are back on offense now. That that series goes cold. Pats on offense. Pivot route by Edelman. Pivot stuff is, uh, I don't know how to do this on a podcast. Basically, you're running something over the ball. You're sitting, and there's an option in or back out of it. So back over the ball, or you zig back out the other direction. If Hopefully the... The words there explain what it is I'm talking about. But in zones, that's really that's really uh, a concept that works really nice. If you've got low people, at least zone dropping. Maybe not the entire call. Now, maybe not everyone is zone dropping, but you have some zone or some area players low. When you do these pivot routes, I was always told, uh, Rob Ryan, um, quick tangent here, ran into Robbo in pregame. We are out there doing our pregame show for Nesson. Uh, the pregame chat. Uh, we Robbo comes walking up. He's wearing this kick-ass jacket, looked custom-made, goofy pattern on it. I loved it. 
and uh, got a chit-chat with my old coach. Love seeing him, and uh, that kind of got me all fired up for the day. But one of his old things, uh, one of his old coaching points from back in the day, this is Rob Ryan, by the way. I think I said that. I don't just call him Robbo. But uh, his old thing was that, you know, these guys that have better foot speed than you, it's just it's just natural. It makes sense. What you got to do is you got to contact him. You don't want to match foot speed with Julian Edelman if you play the position of linebacker, even if you're a fast linebacker. Being a fast linebacker doesn't mean you necessarily still have the reactionary skills that a little defensive back or obviously wide receiver would have. So these guys were trying, the Rams were trying a lot of this where they were trying, they were getting these option and pivot routes and zips and zags and whatever the hell you want to call them, stuff where someone sits and then restarts the route. But they were trying to do it without contacting them. You can't do that. You, you absolutely can't do that because you need to you need to basically hit them. you got to hit them in the mouth. It's a Rob Ryan thing. Hit them in the mouth, make them reset with their head and feet, not just let them make the route, let them cut, and then try to catch up to them. That just doesn't work as well. So linebackers that try to match foot speed with Jules, they lost on the day. And you know, as only a small percentage of what Julian, where Julian got his yards when he, with these routes matching with the linebackers, when he did, he torched him. Now, deep out comes here a little bit later. That's by Julian Edelman. I'm calling this some sort of, I don't know, it's just a slight motion in, but he still stays the extended wide receiver. Basically, in this thing, ends up a deep out. 25-yard out route to Julian Edelman against, again, Keith Tlaib, one of his top paid guys in the NFL at that job. And this is nothing to do with scheme. This is nothing to do with anything. This is Brady throwing him from across the hash, deep outside, 25-yard ball downfield. In other words, it's do your old hypotenuse of the triangle thing, do a little geometry here and figure out it ain't just 25. It's probably 38. I don't know. I'd have to measure the thing out. This is a very long ball thrown on a dart, deep out, timed well. Edelman beating the top defensive back. Why? Because he's a very, very good wide receiver. He's killed it, killed it throughout these playoffs. Now, um, uh, let's see. Keep going on here. This ends, unfortunately, with what I would highlight as one of the most important plays of the game. (laughs) Sneakily so. And that's the David Andrews recovery of the fumble. Brady fumbles, long pocket. He's got to get rid of it. Great protection there. He swung through. He was spinning the dial, went around sort of all his different looks, but invariably it didn't shake out. I think he made the right decision not to throw to some of the places his eyes were looking, but instead of chucking at the stands or throwing at someone's feet, uh, he held on to it. There was a strip, and thank the good Lord that David Andrews recovered that thing uh, because could have gone a lot, a lot different way in this game with that early turnover in that particular territory. So next thing happens, Gronk gets a check down, uh, and I thought this was really good. Uh, anecdotally, uh, the, this was the first chance we saw Gronk with sort of a catch and run situation. We haven't seen a lot of that uh, really throughout the course of the season, some, but maybe not as much as we're used to. And with that extra week of work, uh, of rest, well, it's not just straight rest, but work, rebuilding the body and lifting and treatments and all that kind of stuff and not having to go out and bang for a week. Um, I was very impressed with Rob Gronkowski, and I saw some of that burst return. It's not quite there. We know he dealt with something, probably still dealing with something. I don't expect him to be back to the old him until he's fully, fully, completely healthy and maybe we're looking at him in a preseason game or regular season game. And you might be asking yourself, why are you assuming to be there? Because I'm not going to talk about a guy retiring until he's done it. I'm assuming he's on the team. He's under contract, okay? And all I know is uh, I watched him obviously heavily like everyone did these last few weeks. And what I see is something comparable to the old player. And that's even knowing he was dealing with something throughout this season. Uh, the big story will be whether or not it's a surgery. 
if it's not a surgery, he may have lost nothing. You may have just been watching him, as we all have, with a guy dealing with something that was deeply bruised or deeply strained or pulled or lightly pulled or tight as shit and wrapped and just unable to uh, adjust and burst and all those things you can do. But there is a big difference between legitimate, debilitating, change your body mechanics from now until death um, limitations and just stuff that's happening in real time that, you know, hey, this happened, I've got this injury, but it's not injury to the extent where I'm, you know, out. It's injury to the extent that I'm going to play with a limitation. So it's, you always got to be careful when you're analyzing stuff like this to know if it's one or the other. You never want to say someone's lost something if the thing that is debility, that is holding them back isn't actually a long-term deal. Can't know that from the outside, and if they certainly aren't saying, you don't know. But never presume he's now slow or he's now unable to adjust to passes. He may just be unable to do those things because of this thing that's holding them back. And I think that's my better judgment here until we see otherwise. You see him get an entire offseason off, and you see him reacting that way. Well, that's a different conversation. Uh, but he was reacting really well to balls in, in training camp. We saw him then. Watched him really up close, looked like the old guy. The changes came within the year. So since the changes went back in the other direction here late in the season when they really needed it, it makes me say, mm, pause. You know, Everyone talks about how it's potentially uh, you know, all the, the cumulative effects or stuff over the course of his career. That could be the case, and it also could be the case that these are, these are pain, not injuries. And um, we'll just have to let time decide that and not do the talk show stuff. So here we go next. We got an incompletion on third and short from spread. Uh, the passing game just wasn't really sharp here, and I think we have to acknowledge as much here. Obviously, Tom Brady's the GOAT, and I'm not trying to have those conversations about, about uh, a guy whose resume is so sterling and has been so good for so long. But I think it's still okay to say this wasn't his best game. It wasn't. He was, absolute, he was phenomenal on the winning drive. Uh, he did everything they needed to help them win. Um, had the one bad turnover early and a ball that just came out of his hand bizarre. Uh, but the the overall operation passing-wise in this game, and it's not just him, it's it's the whole group, wasn't sharp, wasn't. Uh, but in the moments it counted, that's how you get to be the GOAT. He was perfect when it mattered most, and he managed well uh, once they got through that early bump. So if it just wasn't there, okay, now you're in a certain game style and you have to manage it well. He did, and they turned on gas when it mattered, and they got it across the line. So uh, just not a game to make major projections or sweeping statements about. It's just what happened in this one, and you get to be a champion for it nonetheless. Uh, Brady uh, did what he had to do and helped lead his team to a victory. Now, um, I want to go forward here with this because I think this is important that to say it's not sharp doesn't mean that there weren't pockets of good passing play. And there certainly were. Obviously, when you get your wide receiver as MVP in the game, there's a lot of big-time passing throws. I'm just simply saying that probably find eight to ten plays where there were opportunities in the passing game that they didn't capitalize on. And I think I'm taking that safely, knowing <laughs> knowing my friend and former teammate, how self-critical he'll be and the frustrations they'll feel uh, for not capitalizing on a lot of the situations they had, situations I think they could have done much better with and that they did throughout the year. But it seems maybe a little too minutiae for a team that just won a championship, and they did. But uh, you get a nice Ryan Allen punt, though, here, even though the this, this session ends. Uh, it's down to the six. He was absolutely huge in this game. You may have seen my 
Uh, well, I don't know if I've tweeted about that yet. I need to send a tweet out there about that yet. That Ryan Allen just punted his ass off in this game. And because it became such a ball control possession kind of game, you know, him pinning people, very, very important. Very, very important. Uh, you know, not putting a, bit, a flat ball out there, not hanging one too far and deep. Uh, that outkicks the coverage kind of thing. He really just hung it when it needed to be, downed it when it needed to be, placed it where it needed to be, and prevented any big plays in that part of the game. Uh, Ryan Allen had himself a day. Now Slater reverses out and makes a cool little uh, downing on this play. I wanted to make light of that, or not make light of it, make, but highlight that. It was an absolute huge play. Kept it from being, uh, you know, from potentially bouncing in. Ryan had put it down to a really nice spot, but the the, the the spin wasn't like a backup, not the backup boogaloo, not the <laughs> Titleist X or whatever it is. Uh, so this was uh, this was one where the bouncing would have been a little more predict- unpredictable, so it was a good thing that Slater got out of his single, got down, and made that play. Huge play there by him, and a big day by Slater overall. Uh, we'll cover that in some of the other future stuff here. Pat's defense, though. First and second down, run wall D. Really good of setting the wall throughout the day. I'll make a generalized statement here because on a podcast we can't go play by play by play on all this stuff. But um, really good day of work by Dietrich Wise. Really good day of work by Lawrence Guy. Really good day of work by Danny Shelton, albeit a sort of sub-20 snap count. When they had to go to got to have it run stop time, he comes in, does well. Trey Flowers played really well in the run game. Trey Flowers didn't necessarily get the high pass rush stuff, but uh, overall productive game for him, a day for him. High tower, great in the running game. Van Noy active all over the damn field. Uh, you know, just Malcolm Brown, solid enough day, and uh, really loved uh, seeing uh, the the rock of Landon Roberts come in and blow some people up late when they had to make the change with the Chung injury. So, by and large, that run front, and Malcolm Butler, I should, I should name him, not Malcolm Butler, excuse me, Ooh, sorry folks, Adam Butler. And Adam Butler is sort of the, the pass guy, uh, but Adam was in there on the occasion where he's going to come in and play nose and would still get a run from, from, from time and again just to check him, check the pass group, could still stop a run. Adrian Claiborne, that as well. Adrian was very versatile with this group, played in, played out was all over the place. So really just an overall good day of building a wall. You get into a historical performance, you keep the run game from being an issue. It's in part because the guys play great technique across it. So we want to talk about wrinkles or things that the defense did or game plan changes. Uh, they, they picked and choose, they picked and chose their, uh, their, their times to pressure really well. Uh, obviously the dialed up six at the end of the game there that gets Gilmore the uh, the interception that was one of the big ones but there's another very particular game over center with a little three-man thing we'll talk about later when it comes up but I just thought it was a really really strong fundamental day um, they're only playing with one off the ball linebacker in other words you've got the two outsides or up and off the ball as, as end guys it was Van Noy and uh, John Simon and uh, you know at times and then it moved to Hightower moving back outside when uh, when Roberts had to come in, uh, because earlier in the game, opposite Van Noy was actually Chung. There were Chung's times where Chung was actually playing basically outside linebacker, even though he's a safety body type. So, and that's when he got hurt on a play where he's playing outside linebacker. So, anyway, the third down move creativity was something that the Rams absolutely couldn't solve. This is a theme that went throughout the game. It was the movement. It was the uncertainty. It was the changing things up. Sometimes that's coming from the call from Brian Flores or, or Coach Belichick. Sometimes it's just the guys out on the field playing off one another and understanding the rules around them, and they did an absolutely phenomenal job about this. Um, it's not just one thing. It's not just one call. It's not just 
to pressure or not to pressure. It's sort of the playing off each other, how everyone fits. In the run fits, you feel your guy getting slid past a little bit, a little bit of push. It's sort of knowing that moment to play off him and sort of fill the gap that's vacant. Or just to, you know, be play really great pad level and really physical and violence. There was so much knocking people back, knocking people around, winning individual blocks. Um, that isn't some goofy scheme. You know, it's not the magic spiral notebook thing again. It's just a lot of one-on-one winning. And uh, just enough versatile guys to be in different places, snap in, snap out, that they could never really hone in on them. This was just a very, very big permagrin kind of day for me watching this defensive performance. It would be down after down, big old smile. Somebody is getting it done over and over again. Um, one thing that I did think was a negative in this game that, that could have helped this go a little bit different way is not fielding the punts. And uh, Hecker was built up. Johnny Hecker is one of the biggest, strongest legs in football. Uh, he's also, you know, he's, he can kick the ball 60 yards. He can also pull it down and throw it. He's, he can run with it. He's a really big-time fake threat. But uh, I think it was three, if I counted them correctly, balls that were not hit well by him, surprisingly so. He didn't seem to punt great on the big day. Yet he walks away with a new Super Bowl record punt uh, that actually ends up at 65 yards, and I think it rolled half that. Um, so I thought this was an error in the game. After they got off with one that that ended up sneaking, I think that's the one I'm talking about here, where it was about 20 yards of roll. You hate that. They had been backed up. You're hoping to capitalize on a little positive field position turn here. And it doesn't doesn't hit a great ball, but it rolls twenty yards. Ugh. So you know it happens once. I'm not. I've never had to stand back there, and, and it's obviously one of the toughest jobs in football to field those punts, especially with all those people tearing down at you. But uh, to not feel that first one, understandable. To come out and not feel a couple more and have them roll. I think one one instance later, it rolls twenty eight yards on the ground. That's uh, that sucks, and that's to the point where I thought maybe they could have made the in-game adjustment to put a second returner back there, sort of the the midpoint guy to ensure that if it's shank, at least gets fielded. You go back there, and you know you used to see that with Kevin Falk, uh, Patrick Chung used to be that guy. Uh, he used to do it with Amadola. Through the history, you can find the second returner guy, and all that means is that hey, now we're not going to be doubling the gunners, or maybe we won't be getting the fullback, or you know, you, you obviously are conceding one blocker up in that either front configuration or the extended on the gunners. But that's okay because you're just looking for a fair catch anyway. You're not as, as concerned about about um, how you block them up or even if you pressure the punter. You just don't want it bouncing around for 28 yards and not getting to field the return that you're all down the field blocking for. So I thought that was probably one of the biggest negatives of the game, something that was regrettable, something that then continued to happen that they didn't adjust to. And, you know, hey, we'll show you here in a second where those 20 yards could have been used. Quick out on Tlaib by Edelman. You're just too quick. Uh, no scheme there. Just Edelman toasting him. Now, Edelman later in this drive uh, toasts the Roby Coleman guy, the guy that had done all the talking. And uh, it's sort of this little bow route from the slot, kind of takes it inside, sort of the arc of a bow, and then it winds it way back out to the outside. Just a tremendous route. Nothing to do with the scheme got him open or whatever. Um, not being picked for, nothing like that. Just a great route. Runs away from him, 25-yard ball. Uh, I've seen a couple of those now. Patterson play, they were on it. So my big prediction or big hope or whatever, uh, thought that the Patterson packages were going to explode in the Super Bowl. Made a couple important plays for them, absolutely, but it ended up being a little more modest. Rams were thinking a little what I was thinking. The ends reacted really well to that. The linebackers didn't get themselves out of gaps. Defensive backs shed pretty well and were – 
you know, when Patterson plays were coming up, they had multiple tacklers ready to form there. So he didn't have, didn't really have many great opportunities, although they, they thought about it, they attempted it, but uh, the Rams did a great job of pre- pre- sort of uh, preparing for that and snuffing it, snuffing it out. Uh, third and nine, you get to check down to Gronk, and this is when his thigh gets battered. Uh, the big shot, I think he was showing, I believe it was Tommy Curran who did a post-gamer thing and got in his ear near locker or something like that. I hope I read that right, Tom, uh, if you happen to have been, been listening to this. But, uh, yeah, something to the effect that he was talking about he could barely walk, and I thought it was Tom that got that. But, anyhow, just the notion that he got real banged up, and I think you can see pretty clearly that it, I believe it was his play anyway, um, takes it right there in the old thigh. And uh, oof, those suck. Had those. DMSO. Explain that on another day. So, holy shit. That was a bad one there. But uh, I thought on that particular play, the one thing that did stick out to me was that there was a better route for Brady. Would have been white on that play. Uh, it was really quick on the decision to go to Gronk. And uh, I thought the white one was a little less defended. Had more space to work with. And, you know, James White just... Wasn't his day. They just never really got him rolling, unfortunately. But he uh, did a really nice job in pass protection. Did make a few catches for him that obviously mattered quite a bit, but it wasn't the whole 10, 12, or 15 target stuff that we postulized that uh, it might be. So, anyway, uh, overall, this here was not really a great series. Ends on the 24, and then they get three points. And why do I reference it ended on the 24? Because, as I mentioned, the ball had bounced 20 yards on the ground. Uh, the series starter here was a loss, a concession of 20 yards for not getting it fielded, and I don't just blame the punt returner for that. If he's back at a super deep depth of 50, 55 or something, the ball bounces up at 36. Sometimes that's just not fieldable. Um, but those 20 yards ended up mattering quite a bit. You can imagine the play sequence is working a little different if you're 20 yards closer. So the play calls we're getting here that didn't work probably wouldn't have been the same. So it's pretty easy to see how those things are all connected. Pat's defense is now on on the field. Shelton gets attacked for loss. Quick little swim across the nose or across the center's face. Slips him. Nice play there. Jason McCourty with a pass breakup later on this series. High points it and knocks away Reynolds. Reynolds was a young guy getting all the pub. Really nice football from that guy in the later months of the season. And uh, he's a downfield ball. Goff puts it up high. He does extend. And Jason McCourty does the nice vet thing. It's not about looking back, trying to steal it. He was out of phase. So what's he do? As it's being high pointed, that's where he goes. Up and through the pocket. Pokes it out. Makes the play. Pat's offense is up now. And uh, after that little drive kill there, the Pat's offense is up. Sony Michelle has a drop on a little option route, and that was a little bit surprising to me that he was out as a pass catcher. Maybe it's to be a key breaker. That's understandable. Uh, but they did not get White going in this game, and those moments where they're going to you know, sort of substitute in Sony Michelle, let's make this sort of future talk. Sony's going to need to make a play or two like that a game. Uh, need to be a little bit more reliable in the passing game. He's been phenomenal. Uh, everything you can want or ask for in the, as a runner, uh, passing game stuff. You know, this is the rookie season. It's going to be not less than perfect. Uh, obviously a monster plus for the team, but uh, not getting that little option right there, and it's sort of killing the drive a bit. Needs to be more consi- consistent. Uh, at least here it sort of put them a little bit behind the series. They do end up hitting White on a check down later in it, uh, and he didn't catch it in stride. I thought that was one of the balls where Tom was – trying to lead him away from coverage, but it put it so low and outside of his feet that it was too much of a stop start for James and didn't kind of hit him on the move, which makes him terrifying for a tackler. But because there was a little too much stop start and adjustment there, and I, in fairness, maybe Tom wanted White to continue to go in the direction that he put it 
Instead, White went back to get the ball there and then cut back to the inside. So it was sort of a slow you down cut and uh, gets tackled for it and ends up being a punt. Pats D's back out. Two solid girly runs to kick this thing, this thing off. It's third and two, though. Uh, so they've got it in third and extremely manageable. Van Noy gets his sack. Sort of a long extended play here. Uh, Kyle looks like he's a low rat kind of player, something low and in the middle over the ball. And uh, we call this replace rush. Basically, the pocket starts to break. You're the low rat player. You've got no other things around you threatening you, and you feel the end get out leveraged, uh, and the pockets start to break, and you uh, you, you replace, you replace rush. And you come right back off the edge. He pulls it up, gets the sack. Huge play there. Really, really good sort of unscripted scripted, if you want to call it that kind of defense. Uh, next, you get a really bad 34-yard hecker punt. So I thought that was kind of weird. I mean, as good as that guy is, as tremendous as he typically is, it wasn't a good day for him, although you're gonna if you're box score humping, you'll see – some big numbers there, but they weren't from really particularly good balls, uh, at least to his standard. The Pats offense is out now. This is four-minute drive territory starting at the 27. Uh, later in the drive, they make it up to plus territory, so they move the ball a little bit here. They get the 12-man penalty, the one of those we saw where they couldn't get two guys off the field. They call it 12-man. I think it was almost 13. Um, White gets a screen, uh, and Tom kind of threw it a little quick here at his feet. Really low ball, incompletion. Um, Brady hasn't been sharp on the screen game, I would say, in the last month for all the, the incredible accuracy that he's had, especially in two minutes, especially in the overtime drive in Kansas City, uh, especially in some of the deep outcut stuff, um, you know, uh, any of the interior stuff with Julian downfield balls. I mean, stuff that Gronk, he's been pinpoint, pinpoint, pinpoint. But screen game throws have been weird. And I don't know why that is. Maybe something to keep on, keep an eye on going up to the next season. But uh, he wasn't sharp on the screens again. He seems to get a little panicky in those situations, sort of feeling the pressure, wanting to get it out quick, and he snaps it. And those balls can be <laughs> pretty hard to catch if you're only you know, five yards away from the guy. So they missed an opportunity there. Then there's a completion to Patterson, but it was a little bit short, fourth and two. He, he catches it a little bit late. Would like to have seen it maybe out of his hand just a tick quicker. Because by the time Patterson catches it, there's a rally tackling going on. So there's two people left and right. They ply off each other well and keep this thing two yards short. Hogan, wide open at the top. Uh, but the throw here goes to Gronk and the double instead. You'll recall this is the fourth down, go for it uh, situation. It was fourth and two with the Patterson thing. Um, so, you know, they do the little pick game at the top. And I thought it was a little weird that, uh, not pick game, but just there's some sort of combo thing going up above the top of your screen anyway as I'm watching it, and Gronk gets the throw into the ball back to the inside. Kind of looked like Tom had sort of made up his mind on that one. The Mike linebacker almost tipped it. It felt like maybe Tom didn't quite see that guy. Maybe he did and was just trying to press it past him, but seemed like an awfully dangerous throw, and it's fourth and got to have it kind of situation. So uh, there were better options on that play than the one he went to, so that was a missed opportunity. By and large, don't love going spread and throwing it back into – multiple coverage players uh, to your tight end. I thought there was better options, so really lost situation there. The offense just still not really sharp at this point. Um, so now we're Pats are back on defense. There's 113 to go here. Uh, they're on the 32, and this is a three and out. So we start talking about historical performances, you know, really where this thing all went. 
It's these kind of situations, right? It's huge. Uh, it's it's the this disappointing change by the offense. Could be a, momo, a momentum kind of shift here for the Rams. Got this crazy uh, dangerous group across from you. All the different weapons. Is it going to be Woods? Is it going to be Cooks? Is it going to be Gurley? Is it going to be either of these two tight ends? The Reynolds kid. There's so many different ways to get hurt. And the, the California boy gunslinger, all that stuff. It's like so many problems that they could potentially present. They get the ball back in their hands right before half. Plenty of time on the 32, and they go three and out. High tower sack. He's the penetrator. He's doing a two-man game with Claiborne. Usually the penetrator is the guy that's jumping in there, trying to pick the tackle to let the other guy come off him or pick the guard to let someone come off him. And the penetrator, often after he makes the pick, doesn't get picked up, and that's what happened here. Hightower gets a good one, ends up killing the drive, and that is it. We're now into the second half. As I look down here, I made it up to 55 minutes with still a half to go, so I'll do my best to ramble these off here. You get a championship performance. Let's see if I can micro-machine my way through the second half. Hightower, as the middle linebacker drops right off the bat here in the second half. We know the deferreds. The Rams are starting out with this thing. Almost picks that thing off. Now, I heard the gripes, and they're, they're reasonable. I think the idea that neither of the, you know, neither Gilmore or Hightower, with him having two sacks and some pressures and general all-around good day of work, didn't get a vote or two or a little consideration. Thought it was a little weird on a day where the defense so played played so incredibly well. I guess the only counterpoint to that would be that they played so evenly well across the group. Van Noy played great. You know, you could you could point to any of the defensive tackles and they're just overall consistent play. Those things don't get you MVP votes. I completely get it. You need to make a the big splash splash play, one, two or three kind of deal. And that didn't necessarily happen on the defense. Um so I get it. But uh that play, if Hightower were able to, to get that pick there as he was the load dropper, kind of hiding, open his hips, flips his hips, does a really nice job there, bangs off his hands, uh, that would have changed things, obviously. So, um, But really nice job there, at least get the PBU. And what the hell was Goff doing? That was the other note I put there because although Hightower does a nice job of flipping hips and getting underneath that route, it was pretty obvious he was there. So I don't know what Goff was seeing. You know, it was easy to say, hey, this wasn't Brady's sharpest day. Brady's not sharpest day is still awful good. Uh, Goff was more off than I easily. You can easily say that. So this is the one big girly run of the day that comes here next. Big cutback run. Finds himself back on the other side of center. Um, wasn't a good rep for the guys up front. Little overplay on the front side. Uh, Malcolm Brown wasn't able to get off the, the block of the nose. Not a good rep for him. Um, and uh, although, you know, generally I think he had a positive day and he was really good in that Kansas City game. This is one that was a little reminiscent of earlier in the year. Not a bad rep there. Gurley rips off a big one. Next is Chung's arm getting broken, unfortunately. Friendly fire. Uh, he's basically playing offensive or outside linebacker at that point. They have him down outside. He's taking on a block from a tight end. Give him a little ground. He's a little light in the butt. Chung is an awesome coverage guy for even bigger humans, but sometimes tougher for those 220, 230 guys to come down and go over tight ends, even the ones that aren't great blockers. But he's given a little ground, but he's a violent dude, and he shed pretty good and got off and was getting in on that tackle. But just the other dude comes in and happens to, I, I believe it's just helmet on forearm, and the thing snaps. So, that sucks to lose a leader like that, but uh, sometimes those things happen. They have to adjust, and the adjustment was simply this. Hightower's now out of the middle, a middle linebacker. He pops back outside, and the Landon Roberts comes in the game at Mike, and they don't miss a beat. That's good. Uh, Deron Harmon hadn't been playing as much then prior to that, so he pops out to middle field. Jonathan Jones comes down some. Deb had been playing down some. 
Uh, J.C. Jackson's reps pump up a little bit at that moment. So obviously there was a bit of a, a bit of a domino effect when Chung went down, um, but the strength and depth of that backing group really showed up at this moment that uh, they were still able to get done. They still had enough versatile guys who could do some different things and keep that defense rolling as it was. Drive stop here. Um, uh, let's see. Well, after the arm break, then Gilmore ends up tracking Cooks at the three spot. Really good coverage there by him, and they're able to get off the field. Let me take a drink of whiskey here before I go get a little of the dry mouth, folks. Oh, good bourbon. Good bourbon. Drive start here now for the Patriots is on the seven-yard line. Edelman with a big Zampezi route. You want to say, what the hell are you talking about, Chatham? A Zampezi route. Kind of like angles, kind of like these read angles. Basically, it's it's a bit like a bow. The back or or slot guy here or receiver guy, whoever it happens to be, but somebody is basically widening their route to find out if you'll cross face and try to get to the outside of the route or if you'll stay hard on the inside and they keep it bowing up uh, up, the, up the sort of seam area. But Edelman runs a Zampezi route. Uh, and I, I, it's an old concept that we were taught even when I – was there for a cup of coffee with the Rams in the early days. And young Ken Zampezi was there. I think it was his father, though, that had, had sort of pioneered this route concept. But I always remember it called that. It was fun to see Julian hit on one of those on a big third down against the Rams, oddly enough. It's third and four, big-time route, catch and run. Um, and uh, then this drive extends. So next route here I have written down on the drive is a Hogan in cut. It was open. Two-back kind of situation, play action, Brady drops back, and the end cut was open. Hogan got himself open, but it was short-hopped. And I think it was a reaction a little bit to some late pressure by Aaron Donald in, in Tom's lap, but didn't deliver a great ball there. Now it's third and two, and you get to spread, uh, and it's an incompletion. So Jules is covered, and I thought on this third and two spot, there was a sort of a level situation, an out route, I think, from White and an out route from Jules at the next level a little deeper. And Jules was the one of the two that was covered. Not a good decision to go to him. And again, I think we're back to it where uh, just overall passing execution on the day was was probably too up and down. Uh, if it's a, you know, it, it's something that they'll be pissed about because they're perfectionists and they want more. And Tom and that group uh, have a lot of pride in what they do. They're all champions now, but that doesn't mean they still won't be self-critical. Um, I'm trying to be as objective as I can here with this stuff. Uh, they all get rings. They all did an awesome job overall making it happen when it mattered most. But another rough example there in a drive where some spots where they were a little off. Allen here, though, Ryan Allen from midfield gets this ball downed on the two by Slater. Big time play by both guys. And one thing I noticed that I wanted to make note of here is that Matthew Slater uh, wasn't getting doubled as much as a gunner. And I think he's making people pay. And I love to see that. Guy gets a little older. Uh, he's been around for quite a long time. Um, don't, you know, I, I don't know. Everyone respects Matthew Slater. I'm, I'm not going to even approach that line to try to put any disrespect on his name. But I do think that teams don't necessarily every single snap he's on the field double him anymore. Um, and that's for whatever reason they chose to do it. But in this situation, if they probably should have. Because over and over again, uh, if you singled him, he was making the play. And he has still got that body control. He's still got that effort. He's still got that sm those smarts on the field to know how to get the ball. Three, if I remember my count correctly, three big-time plays, two of them down and one in a solo situation, get a negative tackle on a punt. 
just a, a really, really nice day by Matthew, and they needed it. Leaders got to step up. He absolutely did. Now the Pats defense is out on the field. Shelton Stuff, again, guy, when he gets out, he does good things. This is really nice and really important because this is sort of a, you know, the Rams got to come up with something. They go to Gurley twice here. We're in the second half. Shelton Stuff, another nice wall uh, from the entire defensive line in this next snap. you got Dietrich Wise involved. you got Lawrence Guy. Uh, it's another stuff of a girly run. So they try to go girly runs back to back. And I know a lot of the sort of aftermath talk is like, why didn't they use more girly? This is one of those drives where they went to him twice in a row and neither really went anywhere. And uh, the next thing that goes on is this this tremendous power rush by by Dante Hightower. Uh, I think I saw the Baldy breakdown of this, uh, the Brian Baldinger thing, um, where he puts those out real quick. And uh, one of the things I'll say is I, I kind of can speak to the the move that Hightower's using here, it's a long arm where basically you you try to stab early and completely extend your arm, get your scat back, and sort of push through this and use the extended arm almost like sort of a log in front of you that can't be broken, and you use it stiff and uh, you know press with just that inside arm. And you wait for that moment when they try to counter because you beat it in, you got it in. And, and, uh, and that moment where the tackle gathers himself and tries to reset and grab with his hand – uh, Hightower got his wrist, and that's cool. You know, I used to do a lot of mixed martial arts stuff training. Uh, helped me a lot in my holdups and stuff like that, and and punt return stuff, and then also over tight ends as a linebacker. But when you get a wrist, or when you can grab a under of a the underside of an elbow, or a forearm, or something where you know when you get a guy who you shot hands first, he tries to reset, and you can grab the underside of an arm is a really good one, or you grab a wrist. You pull up on that, they have no strength to re- resist you with. It's sort of almost like a self-defense kind of move. But Hightower did it perfectly in that moment. Uh, ends up just looking like a tremendous power rush. Yeah, he's a heavy 270 guy, 270 whatever he weighs. as a linebacker, bigger linebacker. Um, but the technique was perfect. Long arm, and then on the counter, grabs the wrist, raises it, uh, and there's no pushback from the tackle. So now he's reeling. He's on his heels. So that was really cool. It, it just, just really, really awesome defensive play. And it was coming off the left side. So I think that's something else here. Hightower played both left, right, and middle. <laughs> he was everywhere. Oh, excuse me, left, right, middle, and he's also over the guard, either guard, both sides. He basically played, let me count them, one, two, three, four, five, five different positions, five different spots on the course of the day. Maybe the position, uh, the, the moniker, the, the guy that's doing it is the same, but in different spots from that position, uh, either outside or inside. So what a big day for him. Uh, and I wanted to put a, little, put a little language around what he actually did in that play. It was, it was so cool. And it's something that you can go to, you can go to, to pass rush rooms all around the NFL. And, again, I, I say this over and over to you folks, I don't pretend to have been a good pass rusher. I wasn't. Uh, but I've heard these techniques coached over, and I've seen the really good ones. Try that when you get a when you get a long arm and a grab in, pretty cool. Biggest moment ends a drive, makes it go on the field and off that quickly. Really cool. Pat's offense is out now. Um, the punt was from the six, though. This is a backed up series. The Rams wasn't fielded. Twenty seven freaking yards of bad roll. A ball roll. Hate that shit. I mean, I, obviously you can hear this is just the dorky special teams guy in my voice, but ends up being a 65-yard punt. This is the new record setter thing, and it's bullshit uh, because the punt wasn't that great. He just shanked it, and you end up getting this monstrous roll out of it. Um, sucks. So, um, you know, just wish maybe they had the second returner up there for something like that. It was just dumb luck by the punt team by getting a bad ball that rolls out that far. 
Um, in this series offensively, the Patriots got a really super weak illegal shift call against Hogan. I, I see what they're calling there. He's motioning at about the two-yard level. doesn't necessarily make a move forward. He just, you know, his motion isn't perfectly sideways. Um, it was from like two yards of depth to one yard by the time he comes. It wasn't abrupt. I just thought that was really weak. You can watch motions, you know, on every play throughout the throughout the NFL, and it usually takes a you know an angling hard towards the line of scrimmage or an actual move forward pre-snap to get the illegal shift. This wasn't that, so thought it was kind of weird because it removed a, a James White catch off the board, a good one for him that I thought was about to get them going, but didn't. Um, let's see. Uh, Hogan got the fade on third and five here and didn't think he was open. It was, again, it was just sort of a, a route they weren't connecting on this day. It, Hogan's been great on the deep end cut stuff, deep comeback stuff in the Chiefs game, Chiefs game, but these moments where they were going to try to connect on a fade, went to that well a couple times, wasn't anything to be found. And and I thought it was odd, and I wrote this note down here. I, I thought earlier we were starting to get back into Sony Michelle world, and now we're getting several series in and haven't seen much of it. It was at least a note at that time of where did that part of the game go. Um, next, here we go. Huge solo tackle by Matthew Slater again. Ends up being a 42 gross ball. Uh, and what that means is, you know, it travels 42 in the air uh, and it's caught at 42. Well, it doesn't travel 42 in the air, but 42 pass the line of scrimmage in the air. And ends up being a 43 net because it's a minus one tackle. Soloed by Slater. Don't do that. He still can make you pay. Love to see it. Uh, Pat's defense is out in there now. That's a big ball to uh, Woods. Gets him into the high red zone. Uh, and over Jonathan Jones there. I actually thought it was pretty good pretty good pass uh, coverage there. Our, the coverage is tight. It was uh, a really nice ball by Goff under pressure. There's a final ball at the end of the game, I think, that's equally good to this. But he had two really, really good balls, and this was one of them. Um, now this is the, the big famous shot here. It's a first down shot after they've entered the red zone. Like I said, they get the nice ball to woods. They cross into territory. You've entered the red zone, high red anyway, inside the 30. And this is the moment when a lot of teams take shots. They've had the sudden change into the zone. Hey, let's take one for the end zone on first down. They did not surprisingly, um, blown cover. This is the Jason McCourty play where he comes from way on the backside beats that thing down best I can tell it looked like a cover four kind of thing and what happens for the two extended guys the cornerbacks opposite one another in a cover four you're responsible for one extended and Jason didn't get one so he's able to fall off and just kind of become an extra player in the deep part of the field but albeit from the side not from down the middle that's why it's so impressive that he's able to get back to the post but Gilmore has a generally, unless they have some sort of tagger calling that I'm not aware of, generally in a four kind of thing, he's the same idea. He's going to take one vertical. If one is vertical, you take him. If one goes short, then you fall off and then can be help on two. Uh, two being, you know, counting from the outside, from the sideline in. One at the one outside the numbers, the, the slot guys are two or whatever, or a tight end can be two and you count back to the quarterback. But one did continue vertical, and uh, I didn't understand why uh, one is the post. I didn't understand why Gilmore let that go. And I know from he's tremendous. He obviously had some big, big time plays in this game, but I, I suspect that was his brain fart. I don't know it specifically because uh, there's some other stuff going on there in the route. Uh, Devin McCourty comes down and jumps the the route of two, but I, I I think he's the deep safety that side. If it is indeed cover four, uh, the safeties have two vertical, just like the corners have one vertical. So I didn't get that. I think it's a Gilmore bust, but don't don't precisely quote me on that without having the call myself. But Whatever it was, Jason McCourty did a tremendous job of 
of acknowledging that uh, somebody had blown it. He was a free player. And I will give uh, Goff a slight bit of credit here. Now, I understand that the big jokey uh, joke is that you can do the still picture and see how incredibly wide open he was. And it looks, oh, my gosh, how could he not see him kind of thing. Well, I, I don't know. In review, the window ain't opening that quickly. I don't think he. I don't think he's but half a count late. And half a count, yeah. <laughs> Cooks can cover 10 yards in that count, in a full count. So I think it looks worse than it was. If you just watch the pocket and when his eyes are swinging from the from the other thing he wanted at two back to Cooks, you know, it wasn't like unreasonably late. It wasn't like one 1,000, two 1,000, or are you going to look? It wasn't that at all. So, you know, I think it was more just if he'd have been tremendous, he gets a freebie. He was just reasonably okay and ends up being that count late, which gets McCourty over there. But awesome all-time sort of Super Bowl-ish kind of hustle play. Uh, save the day. Great job there by Jason McCourty. Um, let's see. Now we got third and seven, and they're at the 26, and this is the high tower sack. It's a three-man game. You're picking the center. And it's the picker that gets home. Vanoy was also free on the wrap. So, in other words, uh, when I say this three-man game, I'm talking about one guy's over center, and then each of the other two guys that are involved in this three is on each of the other side of the center. So, one guy over the guard, one guy over center, one guy over the guard. And all three are standing up, or maybe the guy over center is, is down. But they're all you know, going to crash one way and twist the other way, some kind of goofy thing that I know is not great to show you here on a podcast. But... Uh, the cool part that I can say that you can verbally get is that not ever, basically two of the three people involved came free. The picker came free, uh, and then Van Noy wrapping around this thing came free. And uh, also, on the outside of that play, uh, Adrian Claiborne won his one-on-one against the tackle, free and clear. He had a great one-on-one win. So if the, 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 the stuff with uh, Hightower and Van Noy going on over their twist inside game thing hadn't worked, Claiborne's getting a sack one way or the other. So he was just half a count behind that. Maybe even we'll see the NFL game book. I haven't looked, but uh, maybe Claiborne gets a credit for half a sack there as well. He was right there on top of that thing also. So absolutely clinic tape shit there, uh, but pretty pretty, pretty neat in the way that they executed both the stun and then the one outside. But there's a caveat. Although this is one of the best defensive plays of the game, it's also one where you go, uh-oh, because uh, C.J. Anderson wasn't covered on the play. And although they got that nice little three-man game going, I believe one of the three would have had to have taken the back. C.J. Anderson snuck out of the backfield. He was wide-ass open. Yikes, that one does not show up well on tape. So it ends up being sort of a highlight of the (laughs) Super Bowl kind of play. You have an uncovered back waving his arms around 20 yards downfield with nobody around him. Now, I don't think it would have been a touchdown. There were deep safeties there that would have rallied up and got that one. But it always sucks. It'll always burn you a little bit. You kind of don't care because it worked out, but... There was a blown coverage on one of the nicest plays of the day. So it sort of is what it is. Ends up kicking a 53-yard field goal. Bad to take a sack like there by Goff, but still within the range there of Zerline. Pat's offense is out on the field now. Uh, this is the big Michelle cutback long run lead toss there. Uh, does a really nice job. Actually, running toss plays. I love that. It's like high school football. Brady t- reverses out, tosses it to Michelle. He starts strong side and then cuts back behind center. Gorgeous play there. Really nice read by him. Makes a guy miss and ends up making it a bigger run. Great job there by Sony Michelle. Third down. We're in plus territory now. What that means is you're, you're, you're sort of into the Rams stuff. On their side of the 50, Brady kind of bizarrely throws to the pick guy. Didn't love this play. It was a third down play. Could have extended the drive. And they're running a little game. We all know that 
everyone does this. It's picking. You know, you're both guys are running routes, but one's just trying to make it look good. And Brady ended up throwing it to White, who, in my view, was the guy who's kind of just trying to make it look good. You don't really run that concept to get him open. He's kind of the the guy to get in the way. And Hogan came off of it wide open, and Brady still threw it to White. And he wasn't really open. It ends up incomplete. So that drive stalls there as well. Uh, punts now from the 44. Uh, ball that Ryan Allen hits. Hits on the freaking one. Hits on the one. Back up, boogaloo. Ends up on the six. Holy shit, what a ball. And again, I mentioned this because I'm, we talked earlier about some of the Zerline, or excuse me, Hecker stuff, where the bouncing out 27 yards, that's bouncing 20 yards. The Nets, in, or the Gross and that, I guess, end up in way, way down the field, and you think that he's having his, or he's putting his toe to ball just as well. I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, Ryan Allen was absolutely tremendous. He kicked it, it hit at the one, and backed up. Holy shit. Uh, honorable mention MVP in my view, especially when you're talking about, hey, that, that bounces forward, which a ball can reasonably do from that distance, and you get touchbacks on a couple of these, three of these, four of these, where he's hanging it, putting it where either someone else can make a tackle or it gets downed. I think that's happened four times. I think four is the number on this day. Those don't go right. We're talking about 50, 60, 70 other yards of field position going the other way. It's crazy how important that stuff is. Uh, Ryan Allen, man, what a day he had. And in a field position game, you got to have a guy like him uh, out there doing what he did. Pat's offense, this is championship drive, folks. This is a minute 15 in the podcast trying to wrap this thing up. This is when the adrenaline gets high. This is the stuff that plays in the replays. Block release to Gronk to get things going. Loved it. He's the backside of a slot play, two back slots. You got two tight end, or you got two backs in the backfield. You got an high backfield. Uh, Gronk's on the backside slot, so there's no receivers extended his side. Opposite him is the two wide receivers. He blocks for just a second, slips out. Such a tough play to defend if you're the linebacker there. You're playing him like he's engaging you. You think it's going to be run a little bit. Your eyes are in the backfield. You're seeing run action behind him. The corner has gone over to the other side of the slot So uh, to follow the slot player. So if you lunge just a little bit, which the outside linebacker did here, and you play run just a little heavy, when the tight end slides past you, there's no corner there anymore. The corner went over with slot. He traveled. So that's that's the little the little catch, and that's how uh, he sneaks out there. Brady puts a nice ball in him. The important thing here is that's a fast linebacker that's chasing Gronk, one of the more athletic. He's one of those 220, 230 guys. And, yes, he does run Gronk down eventually, but that's not being a big play, like 18 yards. And he wasn't 18 yards open. He was catching that thing at 7 or whatever and getting getting the full 10 out of it, even with a quick dude chasing him. So, Shows a little of his agility still there, obviously in a big spot. Uh, now, this is when the 22 stuff comes in. I know this had become a big story, 22 being two back, two tights. And the idea that they spread it all out with the 22 stuff. And uh, I'll tell you, in my honest opinion, I don't think that part actually really mattered. Um, it could have been 12, could have been 22, could have been 21. And the way they picked up the guy who at least caught the ball, I think would have been about the same even without the change. The story became, holy crap, they got him into 22. And uh, yeah, maybe it makes you panic a little bit, but I think invariably because Tom goes back to the guy uh, and his targets in these 222 spread plays uh, that were actually being covered by people that without that change they would have anyhow. In other words, Gronk flexed in the, in the near-the-box stuff. He's going to probably get a linebacker and dead. Um, option route to Edelman over the ball. Goes for 13 yards. Really nice play, but it's back over the ball. So 
again, he's working against a linebacker on the inside, and that would have been the case 22 or not 22. So it was a cool little wrinkle to go 22 and spread him out and catch him in a personnel group. But if you end up throwing it back to that part of the personnel, defensive personnel group that's the same, then I don't know if there's much change. And here's an example of that. Um, Burkhead ends up catching a hitch on the outside, but Burkhead extended away from the formation with a corner on him. So you actually got what you wanted there. If you're a defense, you think you should win that, yet they didn't. So, again, I'm sort of making the case that it was just execution. I don't think there's really actually much of a confusion, a confusion, capitalized, bad matchup kind of thing with the 22 spread stuff. So, Burkhead, outside hitch, goes for seven. And then Michelle with the touchdown. Wait a minute. Is that, that can't be buzzer, right? Well, anyway. Pass on that. <laughs> yes. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, that's the the deep ball to Gronk. And I, I should have made this point here. Burkhead's touched. You all, you guys know the story better than me. You hear me say this and go, "Damn it, Chad." We've heard. We know what happened. We don't need to get it from you. Uh, but the Burkhead hitch. Then it came Gronk. Um, Gronk with the big seam route. And uh, my old phrase from TV that day. I think I think Tom could have put that. The tip of the ball drops into a Dixie cup. Gronk barely has to extend his arm out. But so this is what kind of had made me, had prompted me to put this part in my notes. The idea that I didn't think the 22 adjusting thing would have mattered much because although they were scrambling out a little bit to get aligned, um, they did get it. And 58, the, uh, the linebacker that was over Gronk, would have been with him 22 or not because you're an inside linebacker that close to the formation. So I think it would ended up being rather immaterial whether or not that was a safety extending up the field with him or a really fast, light-bodied linebacker. Don't think it mattered much because, quite frankly, there's another fall-off uh, corner outside of that that kind of became a part of the play that made that thing almost look like double coverage. And then the safety is very nearby. So the interesting angle to that is, and what I think Brady did at a really expert level here, is when he saw the kind of motion around, uh, the, the confusion going on with the Rams, uh, and in, again, in fairness, they did get over the top of Gronk where he w- should have been correctly in coverage and f- dropped with the coverage just as if he'd have been there lined up all along. So the fact that they scrambled a bit to get lined up didn't actually end up mattering. But I think in that moment, Brady identified, well, he's hustling to there, that's where I'll go with it, or something along those lines. But the expert part of this is he does know that he has a post safety sitting out there, and he needs to hold that safety, keep him from from vacating that landmark too early and getting over to that Gronk seam he's about to throw. So what what Tom does is he stares right down the middle. He glances left. I know that you know that he's about to go back to Gronk on that thing, and he does for the long uh, route there, the big clincher. Uh but he holds it tight until he gets clearance on the other side of that that linebacker in the seam before he takes his eyes off the down the middle of the field. That freezes the safety. That means the safety doesn't move off the landmark until Tom's going into throwing motion, which is big. Buys you an extra five yards. That's really all you need to fit that little thing in there to the Dixie Cup. And uh, linebacker can't make the play. Cornerback that's closing can't make the play. All-time ball. Just perfectly placed perfectly placed and a little bit of execution with eyes helps make it so and then i had jumped ahead of you guys are unfortunately and ruined my call i'm no bob soshi here so uh and then obviously they plunge it forward with michelle next to finish that thing off pretty cool stuff there now as we get to the end of this thing um you know you got to sort of acknowledge that the rams did still have a chance and it's not as if this finished it necessarily uh it didn't so i one of the things that uh Let's see. Let's see if we can find this here. 
I love it when I get into a deep set of notes, folks. You're going to be like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> here we go. Final drive here for this is the Pats defense. And, again, if we're going to make this all about them, not all about, but, you know, hammer home the point of here of how good the defense was, you have to acknowledge that in the biggest moment for the other side, they're going to come out with their best people. And that was Todd Gurley. He got his chance on the final drive, uh, offensive drive. Not final. They actually got that, that goofy one after the field goal or, you know, it was sort of out of reach by that point. But this is the final meaningful, meaningful one in my view. 10-3, chance to close it, chance to tie, still plenty of time on the clock, and there was no running game. They went to it. They tried it. They wanted it. Of course they wanted points, but they needed the clock consume as well to not let Brady get the ball back in his hands. They wanted that running game. They went to that running game. They went to their MVP caliber guy, and he didn't get it. They built, built a great wall. Knocked that thing down, minimized it in the biggest moment. Great job there. Now, the three-man rush game that we talked about earlier, one guy over center, another guy in each of the two gaps by the guards, and uh, sometimes one of the three covers, and in this situation, they did. So they're running the three little three-man stunt, but if they see the back burst out, you kind of leave the stunt and go with him. And I think that confused them a little bit. It, it sort of stopped things up there for Goff. He seemed a little bit surprised for them to come out of the stunt and pick up the back. Um, now, next play here, though, is the deep out cut to Woods. Gets him into plus territory. Tremendous ball there by Goff. Really all-time throw. So, I mean, the story that he's just a choker, that he played so terrible, and what could have been a tying throw for a tying drive for him. He threw one of the best balls of the day, and it was a big-time throw. Um, but now we're in the high red area. This is nut cutting time. You've crossed the 30. And uh, Gilmore, uh, this is the extended sort of fade throw ball to Cooks. Pretty decently thrown. Gilmore's in trail. He's up tight to this thing. And um, I didn't like Romo's call on this because I think Romo was thinking like an offensive guy. And he seemed to be sort of sneakily advocating for maybe a potential hold there on Gilmore. I liked what Gilmore did. He is chopping down the hand of Cooks. And you could say arguably early. Uh, but there's no grab of the wrist. I think if you grab of the wrist, the left arm of Cooks, and you try to actually hold it down or pin it, you can be a problem. But you can chop as you run, and that's perfectly legal. Both people's hands hitting, that's the phrase when you hear the officials say hand fighting. Hand fighting is okay, as long as there's no grabbing. Chopping down on the hand when the hands are meant to raise, that's okay. You're not hitting his core, you're not grabbing and holding his arms down. There's no hold. Um, I didn't have a problem with that. That was actually a really nice sneaky technique. That's the way you got to do it. He raises his hands. You continue to pump your arms through his arm. And if you chop down at the right time, well, then, yeah, it makes it harder for him to raise his arms. But, uh, you know, they push off <laughs> defensive backs all the time, so you have to use all the little tricks yourself. I thought Gilmore did a nice job of timing the chop, not grabbing. Had he grabbed, he's going to get a flag. He didn't grab, he chopped. And um, that's why I kind of thought Romo was wrong, at least on that one call. And the one I heard it back. I thought that was hand fighting. Smart of him to do it. And uh, I loved Harmon's range there. Now, Dron Harmon's back in the deep field. He's cheated to that side. Uh, Goff still tried to fit it in and wasn't able to pull it off. Um, and I think with the contact from Harmon there anyway, even if Cooks had had the hand up, he's taking contact on a ball high. And it's probably a PBU one way or the other. So safety help there um, and, and a nice little little uh, little hand-fighting technique by Gilmore kept that thing from happening. Now Pat sends six on the very next play. The seventh drops out for a moment. It looked like we're actually sending all seven. <laughs> seventh player drops out. Biggest moment of the game here. Got to have it kind of situation. Flores or, or Bill or whoever is a 
responsible for that. I think I heard from some of the, the post-game sound or whatever, the playback stuff uh, inside of the game, all mic'd up crap or whatever, uh, that the, 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 the coach was, was, was crediting B-Flow for that particular call. But he sent them, Goff panicked, threw up a punt, and, uh, you know, Gilmore just goes, high points it, does a great job, makes the play. Cook doesn't, Cooks doesn't go up for that. Now, he's a Ram now. I'm not sure exactly what they're telling him or coaching him, but I know in the Patriots' days, Coach, uh, Coach Jeff Belichick definitely hammers on in situations like that where it's a, it's a, it's a put-up ball, it's a high-point ball. The defensive back has just as good a chance for it as the, as the receiver. The receiver has to challenge it, maybe even become a defensive back themselves and chop it down. But Cooks doesn't gather himself, never even rises up, and Gilmore's the only one leaping. So it wouldn't be considered great technique there by the running back, or excuse me, the wide receiver anyhow, even though Goff kind of set him up with a bad ball. Pat's offense has the ball now. They're on their own end zone after the interception, 4.17 to go. Got a 26-yard run by, uh, I believe that was the first 26, I think 26-yard was by Michelle to get him out of backed up. Uh, they doubled Aaron Donald on play side. Love seeing that. Guy's too good in pursuit. Don't let him be a backside guy to strip it off. You just double him. He's 270, 280, whatever kind of guy. Uh, put two big heavy bodies on him and don't let him be penetrating and ruining the play. Didn't is what we talked about a lot in pregame, and I would love to see in the moments where they're closing the game out with a run double right on the best defensive player in football to run right at him. Don't run away from him, run right at him, and they did, and it worked in the biggest moment. Fowler gets the illegal hands. This advances the drive here a little bit, illegal hands in the face. Burkhead gets him his own 26-yarder, uh, kind of like fan, um, basically like sort of a, a zone play. Uh, lead uh, with Gronk in motion there. But now it's just really basic stuff, and it ends up being sort of the closer play. It extends it out there. They're not able to convert the third and one, but they flip the field a bit there with the running game late. I mean, that's obviously a great sign to see that when they needed to close things out, they got a handful of big plays there in the running game. Uh, kick the field goal. Go ahead, 13-3. Steely kick there by Giskowski. Yeah, the Rams put up a couple desperation plays and then end up missing something at the end, and the game just ends. But... That was it. I mean, I think there was a, a certainly a little less stress on the fallout of this one than there have been in other Patriots victories, even though it was still pretty close down to the end. But there's your championship medal roster, uh, top to bottom. Just a great day all around. Great work. Uh, get a championship. Get a ring. Some banner sliding around. That's going to have to happen uh, at the uh, this following uh, summer. Uh, they built it for five, but you can tell, folks, if you go to Go to Gillette, there was space for those to be slid around, I think, as much to fit comfortably seven without resizing these things. So they're expecting more, they're getting more. They got the one they were looking for in 2018. Now, was the story of this team in 60 seconds or less a surprise team? No. Expectations were high going into the year. Did they have bumps? Yes. Were the bumps answerable? Yes. Did we cover them throughout the season on this podcast? Yes. Was this a talented roster? Absolutely. Is talent based upon who does and doesn't get voted in the Pro Bowl? Of course not. Don't be a moron. Is this a very, very talented roster? Of course, because when you don't beat other very, very talented rosters without talent. There are no magic game plans that helps a non-talented person cover a talented person. A talented person needs to be covered by other talent. A scheme doesn't get in there. You have to be able to run and jump and tackle and catch things. And you do that with talent. The notion that this became some sort of magical coaching mystery and not just an underrated, extremely talented roster that good functioning football eyeballs see. 
Uh, they did what they had to do because they were a very good football team that unfortunately many didn't understand or appreciate. But it is what it is now, and it's undeniable in your opinions. If they weren't up to speed with what the team was doing, they're shitty opinions. But if you sense a little salt with me, it's there. Uh, because I think in part you have to do shows like I do to re-educate because there's, there's too many bad eyes on, on tape out there, too many bad analysis of, of what's going on with this team. So, so anyhow, this is really a team that I, I wanted to share with you guys throughout the team. You're fans of it. You're going to watch it one way or the other. But there were some things to really be appreciated about this group that I think if you've ridden this ride with me throughout the season, you knew of. And we, we talked about sort of the potential and the potential bore fruit. And that's, that's all you can ask for. Uh, you hope it turns out as it does and it di- or as it did. And, uh, you know, you feel good for the guys because one thing that I can share a little insight here on is I see a lot of these guys socially and uh, they're good people. And the, the cool thing, and I, I did send a tweet out about this on Wednesday uh, sometime during the day, something to the effect, and it's something I believe in very strongly and I know, know to be very true about these guys that I can name a dozen and I won't, I won't name drop here, but these are a lot of, there are a lot of good guys on this team that are a lot of, uh, that are heavily involved in foundations, not just granting their name, uh, not just, but actually in sort of the logistics of putting the things together, uh, actually caring, uh, tangibly having a, a life involvement with the things that they're raising money for. Um, and what usually happens in situations like this is when you have the kind of success they have, the profile rises, the opportunity rises to raise money. To, to sort of shine light on causes and for people to get a better appreciation for what these people were all about. They were the kind of people to cheer for. And I think that's in part why you hopefully come to the show because you want someone who uh, appreciates uh, and can help you maybe grow your appreciation for the hard work these people are doing. They pour themselves into it. Uh, they don't deserve to win. Uh, they, they work hard and hope to win. Uh, you earn that by the work you put into these things, but it's not a birthright, you know, just by wearing that Patriots logo, you don't get a trophy automatically. There's going to be highs, there's going to be lows. And uh, fortunately, we're all able to put it together. But there's a lot of really, really good people that work their ass off this season that put a lot of effort into this. And uh, I get to see them a lot behind the scenes. So a lot of them that uh, take a lot of unfair criticism by just unprofessional people that don't know what the hell they're looking at. And those people have large platforms and unfortunately they abuse them. So it's good to see these players abuse them back because they actually are the professionals in this equation. So obviously you understand which side I fall upon and who I advocate for. And that's what this show is all about. Patriots know what they're doing, folks. They're really, really good at this stuff. And we're all very blessed to, to get to live in this market and, uh, you know, get to see what the highest of highs can look like and get to do it regularly year after year. That's going to be all for me. I'm Matt Chatham. This is the Real Thing Patriots podcast. Enjoyed uh, really going along on this ride with you folks throughout this season. Uh, thanks for your listenership as always. We're going to continue to do shows in the off season, although on a little less regular basis, obviously not breaking down a weekly thing. I'm off to ice fish in the tundra of <laughs> middle of South Dakota. I believe I'm getting, uh, sub sub zero temperatures here throughout the time, but that's okay. Away from civilization phones put away, but the podcast is now out there for you to listen to and enjoy. And as always, I really do appreciate your listenership. Thanks folks. That's all. Take care now. Go Pats. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hey, Lucky. 
Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.